0: we are repentant we are grateful we are redeemed we are prayerful we are first Baptist Church well if you are new with us today whether you are in the room in this space with us or you are online thank you so much for gathering with us for worship We don't wanna take that for granted. Could you let us know that you're here? You can go to fbcsa.org connect. Just a simple link for you to go to say, hey, I worshiped with you today, this is who I am. We'd love to build a relationship with you. And also, as a part of our worship, um, we are called to give out of what God has already given to us. And so let me invite you to continue to give to the ministry this, this this church family. As an act of worship and furthering what he is doing, you can do that by going to fbcsa.org give, or we have these little cool little boxes along the wall and in uh, the foyer where you can put um, your offering envelope, or however you choose to do that. But continue to worship the Lord in that way. I'm going to have you stand we're going to read verses 1 through 3 of chapter 7, 2 Chronicles. You can stand with me. Don't be bashful. Um, before we read this text, I want to read for you uh, Psalm 34, 8, and then we'll read this text. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I want you all to say that with me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Say it one more time. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in Him. Psalm 34 8. Now let's read these verses together, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 7. When Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven and burned up the burnt offerings and sacrifices, and the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. When all the people of Israel saw the fire coming down and the glorious presence of the Lord filling the temple, they fell on the face down, on the ground, and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Amen. You may be seated. He is good. He's good. So we discover in verses 7 and 8 of this chapter, um, or verses 8 and 9, that they have been dedicating the temple for 14 days, two weeks. Verse 8 says this, for the next seven days, Solomon and all Israel celebrated the festival of shelters. The festival of shelters was a week-long celebration festival where they Thank the Lord for his provision at the end of the harvest, as well as commemorating his provision during their time in the desert. Remember the people of Israel in in the desert for 40 years. So that festival of shelters was an opportunity to remember God's provision for them. So the dedication of the temple was a part or included in this festival of shelters. A large congregation had gathered from as far away as Lebo Hamath in the north and the brook of Egypt in the south, on the eighth day, they had a closing ceremony, for they had celebrated the dedication of the altar for seven days, and the festival of shelters for seven days. And so they had been dedicating the temple now for seven days upon seven days, with a total of 14 days. That's a lot of celebrating, a lot of dedicating. This is a significant event in the life of the people of Israel. I mean, this not only was the most important building project, that's what it was, of David before Solomon, cast the vision for this. The Lord said no to David, said one of your sons are going to build it. Solomon builds the temple. It is the greatest work project, civil project that they've had ever, not to mention this is when the Ark of the Covenant is united into the temple. The Ark of the Covenant was always in the tabernacle. It hadn't been for some time. And now, the temple being a glorified tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant is coming in to the most holy place for the first time in this temple. This was a significant, significant time of dedication with the people for this moment. Remember, the Ark of the Covenant uh, represented it, represented the very throne room of God and God's invitation, come, meet with me, be my people, listen to my voice, love me and follow me. This was a big deal. Last week we learned that this was where God's name would dwell, where they could make petition before the Lord. What a relationship that the people of God, because of God's mercy, had with the Lord, that they could call upon his name. And that he would forgive their sin and have mercy on them and restore them. A significant event. This was a huge deal. And so we know over the course of two weeks, several things were going on. A lot of things were going on. We know that they made atonement for their sin. Not just in a little way, but a significant way. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of sacrifices were made upon the altar that stood outside of that holy place, out of the temple. And so they were making atoning sacrifices. There was corporate worship. We know that they were singing songs of praise. They were declaring, He is good, for His love endures forever. They were singing songs together. And we know that there was prayer. Uh, We saw last week Solomon's lengthy prayer Before the Lord. And so you have this, these scenes, these intermittent scenes of atoning sacrifice and worship and congregational praise and and significant prayer uh, by Solomon to the Lord on behalf of the people. It was not a small event. And if that wasn't enough, throughout this 14-day period, you had the very presence of God coming upon the temple and filling the temple. Uh, This generation of people had never seen anything like this. They'd seen nothing like this before. And God had made himself known and entered the temple by cloud and by fire. Two weeks. It was almost like a big tent revival, maybe lasting a little longer. Uh, But this generation of people were encountering God in a brand new way that they had never seen or experienced in their lifetime. Recognizing their own desperation for forgiveness of sin and that they can move towards God's mercy and and grace through the atoning sacrifices and then be and encounter his very presence. Very presence. Those first few verses that we read in verses one through three, when Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven, and burned up the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. What a moment. What a moment. It's almost as if kind of right in dead center of these 14 days. And God has already made his presence known, but he sends fire down to consume the sacrifices upon the altar. It's almost as if God is saying, listen, let me remind you, and maybe for some of you for the very first time, that I am the real deal. Uh, You've heard stories all of your life about the works that I've done on behalf of your people. But let me remind you that I am who I say I am. All those stories are true. All those stories are true. I am who you declare me to be, I'm the very same God. Now, remember, uh, they just got through singing and probably intermittently throughout their time of this dedication uh, parts of Psalm 136. I I think we only get a smidgen uh, of the songs that they were singing. Uh, Psalm 36 captures this refrain over and over again. His faithful love endures forever. He is good. His faithful love endures forever. But throughout that song, they're recounting the works of the Lord, right, right? He is good because he rescued us out of Egypt. He is good because he defeated the kings who were against us. He is good because, because, because. And so as they're singing these songs of praise, they're recounting and declaring to God, this is who you are. And when God consumes the sacrifice and fills the temple, he's, it's actually like him saying, you're absolutely right. I'm everything that you say I am. Because I revealed myself to you. I am. There is no one like me. In about 70 years, in about 70 years from this moment, there's a lot of irony here. There's only one prophet in the land who is, seeks the Lord and honors the Lord. That's Elijah. Y'all know this scene all too well. The land is filled with worship of all other gods. In fact, there's 400 prophets to Baal, and, and Elijah, uh, pronounces against these people and declares them and says, listen, you've got to decide whether you're going to worship the Lord your God or worship these other gods. And he sets up this contest. Remember? You know what I'm talking about on Mount Carmel? Right? Just 70 years removed, the people had completely forgotten what had happened in the temple when Solomon dedicated the temple. But nonetheless, here you have Elijah, and he's making sacrifice, and the 400 prophets of Baal are trying to do their own, and they can't get their God's attention, but fire rains down when Elijah calls upon the name of the Lord and consumes the altar. But in that moment, that's what the Lord is saying. He's saying to the whole nation of Israel that had forgotten him and what he has done and gone off to worship other gods, He's like, let me remind you who I am. I am. That's what was going on here is that in a very new way, in a way that they had never seen, they'd only heard stories about God as saying, that's right, I am. I am who I've declared myself to be. And all the stories that you've heard from mom and dad and grandparents and those before you, that's me. I am your God. At the end of these 14 days, of this celebration, dedication, encountering the presence of the Lord, you can imagine the people. They were beside themselves. What does it say in verse 10? It says, then at the end of the celebration, Solomon sent the people home. Can you imagine? Likely there are those who probably recognize, gosh, we've got things to take care of, we we do need to go home. But I imagine after seeing and encountering God in this way and being a part of this worship and, and time of prayer, and commemoration and dedication that many of them probably didn't want to leave at all. Kind of like Peter, remember when Peter was on, uh, Peter, James, and John were with Jesus on top of that mountain, and, and Jesus transfigured. He became bright white. What did Peter say? I don't think we should go anywhere. I don't think we should go anywhere. We should just stay right here and build little tents. Well, I think, likely, I think these people were probably so beside themselves. They, many of them probably said the same thing. It doesn't say that here. I'm just musing. But it says, then at the end of the celebration, Solomon sent the people home. It says, they were all joyful and glad because the Lord had been so good to David and to Solomon and to his people, Israel. They were all joyful and glad because the Lord had been so good. It's that song that they were singing. He is good. His faithful love endures Forever. I think there's a lot for us to admire in the people here, and even much that we can take home for ourselves as we contemplate the goodness of God. They were rejoicing in the goodness of God in his fulfilling promise to David and then to Solomon, and that he had been good to the people of Israel. They were declaring God's goodness. And we know how they felt because we can read it in the text. But we're also called to taste and see that the Lord is good. I, I re- recited that verse at the beginning and even with the kiddos up front when David wrote in Psalm 34, 1, taste and see that the Lord is good. Savor the Lord, just just try the Lord and, and see that he is good. And this is when David is on the run and living in Philistia. He's living with the enemy, so to speak. And he's going through a very challenging time with Saul, who is trying to snuff him out, right? And and here we have David saying, taste and see that the Lord is good. And that is a word for us today. That we too, much like the people uh, that were Being dismissed and going back home, that we too are called to rejoice in the very goodness of God, to taste and see that He is good. Isaiah, many, many years later, um, would write these verses in Psalm 55. If I can get there. Psalm 55, he says this: Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does, not, that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. There's this theme throughout the Old Testament and even the New Testament where there's this invitation to us. Will you come and taste that the Lord is good? Will you come and taste that the Lord is good, and what a good reminder for us. Remember in Jeremiah 29:11, this famous verse that we recite all the time as the people were about to go into exile for 70 years. There's no good thing there, right? But what's the promise of God? I have plans for you. And what kind of plans are they? They're good plans. They are good plans. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. And what a reminder for the people that as they're about to go into 70 years of exile and hardship, that God is saying, let me remind you, taste and see that I'm good. You have a future in me. Don't abandon the Lord your God, for I promise good to you. What was it that Jesus Told the Samaritan woman. Remember that? He asked her to draw water for him, and then he said, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. That's in John chapter 4. And he would go on to say, Listen, when you drink of this water, you will never thirst again. It is good. It is good. And what did, John, uh, what did Jesus tell his disciples in John chapter 15? He said, listen, I, I have told you all of these things so that, my, so that you will be filled with my joy. And yes, your joy will overflow. Taste and see that I'm good. Believe the words that I've given to you and obey the words that I've given to you. Taste and see that I am good. Church, we have nothing if we do not have the goodness of God. We have nothing if we do not have the goodness of God. In fact, let me say it in an even more blunt way. If God is not good, I do not want him at all. But God is good. That is his declaration to us that he is good good, that we can take refuge in him and that we can trust our future with him, that we can find satisfaction and joy in God alone, that he is good. I mean, isn't that the whole point after all? Isn't that the whole point of God's declaration or revelation to us that I am good, you can trust me? Will you, will you just sink your teeth into what I offer you and my goodness, just believe me. I am good, and rejoice in that good. The truth is, we we live in a world where everything else is false advertising, everywhere. It may taste really sweet on the front end, right? It seems so appealing, the, the things that the world throws our way, the things that we can get pulled into or distracted by seems so appealing. It's so sweet on the front end, and we can be convinced that, gosh, this is good. But we know and we experience it only leads to destruction. I mean, our world says to us, you know, uh, just just hold on to that unforgiveness just a little longer. Just hold on to that unforgiveness a little longer because it's good to hold a grudge, right? Uh, you know. Um, you don't really have to tell the truth to your parents. Uh, you know, you, you can kind of just do what you want. It feels good. I mean, I'm, I'm just being me, right? That's what our world says. You just do you. And they throw that our way. Man, it seems so good. The Lord says, taste me and see that I'm good. Because this ends in Destruction. This in destruction, bitterness, cynicism, disobedience, immorality of all kinds in the moment we're caught up in it and it just seems so good. The Lord says, no, those things don't satisfy. Why do you, why do you spend your money on things that rob you rather than give to you? Why do you waste your energy and time on things that destroy you and wrap you up and enslave you. And listen, when you taste me, you will know my mercy and my grace and you know freedom and truth. He says, taste me and see that I am good. So, um, true story. Two weeks ago, I thought I didn't like beets. Um, My whole life, I grew up envisioning, you know, those pickled beet stuff, syrupy, kind of slides out of the can. You know what I'm talking about? Mmm, can't do it. Can't do it. Um, went and had dinner with some friends, and they had roasted vegetables on the plate. Roasted vegetables on the plate. And there was, there was some beets. And I grew up a little bit. I eat everything, by the way. And my wife will tell you, at, before that date, it was like, I ate everything but beets, but beets were on the plate. I'm like, I'm gonna taste and see. And there it was, I ate this roasted beet, and you know what, it was awesome. It was pretty good, and not only was it good, but it was really good for me. It was good for me, and so the next day I went to the grocery store, I guess what I did? I bought beets, I bought golden beets. Gold beets are better than red beets in my opinion. But I bought beets, and I've now bought them twice in my house. And years before, I, I mean, for 43 years, I didn't eat beets because I thought they didn't taste good. I don't care how good they are for me, but here's the deal. I, I took this step of faith, sunk my teeth into these beets, and realized they, they are good. Isn't that the invitation of the Lord to us? Taste and see that I am good for you. I'm good. How do we do that? Just a few things that I want to point to. How do we do that as as a church? Uh, How can we be like these people who are wrapping up this time of dedication full of joy and gladness because of the goodness of the Lord to them? Um, the first thing that I wanna mention is believing and obeying. I already alluded to it. Listen, we can't, we can't know and taste the goodness of the Lord until we believe the things that he has to say to us and actually obey them, right? It's better to speak the truth and live a lie. It's better uh, to acknowledge our own sinfulness than to keep covering it up. Right, So we, we listen to the, what the Lord has to say about himself and life and living, and we believe it and sink our teeth into it. It's in that moment of obedience that we begin to taste God's goodness. It's hard to know the goodness of God if we're not willing to sink our teeth into him or obey him. And that, this transcribes to all parts of our life. Your relationships at home, your relationships at work, if we're not willing to obey God in those relationships, like forgive them, extend grace to them, be a good listener, then we don't know the goodness of God that he has and the requests or commands that he gives us. We just live our own way and it ends up really bringing more hurt than good. So the first way is believing and obeying the things that God says. The second thing is rejoicing. Um, I think it's no small thing that the people of Israel were gathered together proclaiming what God had done, and they were rejoicing with one another. One of the ways that we taste and see that the Lord is good is with one another, singing songs of praise and worship, even in small group. We get to hear what God is doing in the lives of other people. We get to proclaim the goodness of God together, that he indeed is good. So we are wrapped up into the goodness of God when we Commit ourselves to being with one another as God's people, where their accountability can take shape and where we can be called to remember. And that's the last thing, is one of the main ways that we latch onto the goodness of God is remembering what he's done. That's what they did. That's what they did. Through song, they recounted the goodness of God. They, they said they left full of joy and gladness because he had been good on his promise to David and then to Solomon and to the people. That God is good because he says what he's done or what he's going to do, and he does it. And so they remember what, what he has done. Um, uh, remembering the works of God is such a dear part of our worship and experience. We don't always see it this way. Um, But when you see those huge events happening throughout the Old Testament, whether it begins with Abraham or, or others, something significant happens. What do they do? They build an altar out of stone. And not just to honor the Lord, but to commemorate, to remember in this place, at this time, God did this thing. When Joshua led the people to cross the Jordan, remember the water parted and what did he do? He put 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel, not just to represent 12 tribes, but to remember what God did at that moment in that time in his goodness. And so we too, as God's children, we we taste and see that the Lord is good by remembering what he's done. Deuteronomy chapter 6, remember What a perfect picture of the family. Mom and dad are obeying the Lord, and the kids say, why do you do that thing? Why do you obey God's commands? And they say, let me tell you why, because God rescued us out of Egypt. He did that thing at that time and that place, and we experienced his goodness. So the way, one of the ways, one of the most important ways until Jesus returns, that through his word and through personal testimony that we recount what God has done for us. Even though we might be in exile until Jesus returns, aliens in a foreign land, in the middle of pandemic, we hold on to the goodness of God through what he has done. The best way that we remember and hold on to the goodness of God. I mean, God knows exactly what he's doing when he did all these festivals and commemorations. The best way for us to hold on to the goodness of God and remember what God has done is through the Lord's Supper. It's a way that we do it together as a church family. And so we're gonna transition into time of remembering the goodness of God. In fact, proclaiming the goodness of God, his act of mercy and grace to us through the death of his son, and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that we can know forgiveness and restoration. And so we're gonna do a significant work together this morning and worship in remembering the goodness of God together. Uh, Upon uh, entering the room, you should have received this little plastic chalice-looking kind of thing. I don't have one on me. So you're just going to have to imagine that I have it in my hand here, all right? Unless someone can run, give me one. Oh, look, Lamont's going to give me one. All right. That means Lamont needs another one. Here you go. Okay. Uh, so, So something special about this little cup okay is uh, you notice the, the bread is on the bottom well the way I have it bread's on the bottom and, and uh, this is on top word of warning do not open the cup first because then you'll have to turn it over and no baptisms this morning so um, when we get there you're going to want to open the bread first it's a little flap like this and then, then you can do the cup does that make sense alright and then when you have opportunity the way that we do this is that we're going to read together uh, uh, scripture, a time of call and response um, and then I'll retell that, that narrative of the Lord with his disciples on that evening um, and then I will release you to take the bread and cup on your own as an individual or with your family um as a family, this is a significant moment for you. So do it together as a family. So you'll be taking the elements, the cup, when you're ready on your own. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, let's read this together and just read the portion that says people. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he who did not spare even his own son but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Who then will condemn us? Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death, When Jesus gathered with his disciples before he was betrayed, he had that special Passover meal with them, and when he came to the bread, he broke it, and he said, this bread is my body, broken for you, and then not much later, he would take the cup, and he would bless it, and say, this is the covenant, a new covenant in my blood that is made for the sins of many. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you call us and you give us things like the Lord's Supper to remember your goodness together as your family, as your people so, Father, today we declare that you are good and that your love endures forever in your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.